Salutation Shades, and welcome back to your home for all the things strange and unusual. Talking with Shadows, the conversation everyone has, but no one wants to admit to. Here with your host, Vic Waitley. And Marcus D. And guys, we are going to welcoming you back to a fantastic episode that we've got for you guys today. I'm super excited to talk about this. I have been researching this all week, that it has shifted the uh, ads that I'm seeing on my Facebook feed <laughs> Uh, so that's why I'm super excited that how much I've delved into looking into this stuff. Yeah, today we're going to be discussing a topic that Marcus has been trying to get me to talk about for quite some time now. I've always been a little leery about it, but he finally won me over. Yes, today we're going to be talking about Dibix, or Dibicum in the plural. But before uh, we get into that, guys... Today we are drinking. Ooh, we have a variety pack. So which which what are you okay. drinking today? So your choices are Kirk Des Jokobins, that beer I have sometimes that I can never say the name of, and a recorder league. So my options are an unpronounceable beer name or a recorder league. I am so, voting for a recorder league. So you can have this delicious <laughs> pear cider or this delicious sour beer. I and am, we all know how much you love sour beers. Oh, I, you I didn't even know that was a sour beer. So you oh, want you want it? No, it's still dude, it's still got the price tag on it. Five dollars for that bottle of garbage. Shut up, they're delicious. They are not. Recorder League is so much better. Okay, I will give you as far as ciders go, Recorder League is literally the freaking yeah. best cider there is. Um probably the best liquid I've ever drank in my life. You're welcome for letting yeah. me or er, yeah. for me giving that to you. Ciders are superior to sour beers. Like I'm I really wish I knew how to correctly pronounce it. It's the brand's Kirk, K-R-I-C-K, and it's really good for sour beers. I mean, the fryer on the front of the bottle looks like he's having a good time, so it might taste as good as far as those things go. But cheers anyway, to you guys. Cheers to you guys in this awesome episode. <sighs> All right, guys. So, um, going over some comments from our last episode. If you guys didn't check out our last episode, uh, we covered the Le Exorcism of Latoya Ammons. A fantastic uh, case involving demon oppression or possession, uh, depending upon what uh, camp you are and what was really going on there. Again, I think it's probably one of the best cases for paranormal activity in the last 50 years. Especially when it comes to documentation. Change my mind. I'm <laughs> just saying. Um, so comments from that episode. James Lang says, I'm not sure where to go with this because it's based on the info you presented. It sounds like the mother instigated this behavior. But there's alleged levitation. Are the witnesses credible? Do we have sworn affidavits on this? Or is it just hearsay? Also, screw Zach Baggins. He ruined ghost hunting shows for me. By the way, James, you have very uh, excellent uh, intuition when it comes to uh, James Baggins. Or Jim... Zach Baggins. Zach Baggins. <laughs> wow, that one swig of that recorder league. I'm already uh, jumbling words. Uh, Zach Baggins. Oh, he, I agree. He's oh, terrible. Oh, he is terrible. Oh, gosh. Oh. Um... Yeah, are the witnesses credible? Absolutely, 100%. Uh, if you get deep into the nitty-gritty of this, uh, there are sworn affidavits signed, sealed, and approval by the state of Indiana. Witnesses from the Department of Child Services saying they legit saw 
uh, her youngest child walk up a wall. And I'd about guarantee you the documentation exists from the medical side, but due to HIPAA rule or HIPAA laws, we can't really access those. But I yeah. pretty much guarantee you that is charted as part of the medical record yeah. as well. Yeah, but no, like anybody that's ever like deeply investigated this and has seen the Department of Child Services assessment that they did on this family, it's the lady that signed it, uh, Valerie Washington signed it, her supervisor signed it, and there's the seal. Of the great state of Indiana that me and Vic are from. Dustin Wilson says, Was it said that there are photos of the oozing curtains? I can't find them. If so, I can't find any photos related to the investigation except for the house itself. Any links to the photos or any photos, documentation from this investigation, all I'm able to find right now are the articles saying other people close to the case have all verified what happened, but no other proof besides hearsay. Edit. After hearing the, the mother discipline her children by spraying them with holy water and telling them they were acting out because of demons, I now have serious doubts. Lizzie, as far as the pictures for the curtains, I have seen them, but they're really nothing to really... Like, there's nothing really big to the pictures. It's really hard to tell what's going on in there, and they don't really... I mean, the oil doesn't come across in the photograph. Well. No, not, not, not very well. However, there, uh, if you watch, like... Uh, Demon House, like Zach Baggins documentary. By the way, if you watch it again, you gotta take it with a grain of salt. But again, the objective stuff from there, you can like see the the photos and stuff of like the uh, social worker's hands uh, after she put her hands on the curtain and just see her hands stained based on what happened. Um, as far as like her kids and how they're acting after the fact, um, I, I I agree. There's probably something going on when it comes to. Uh, the kids, like if you, if every single day you're told that you have demons inside of you and that's the reason for what, for your bad behavior, there's probably going to be some learned behavior that was going on there. That being said, I don't really think that completely takes away from some of the very bizarre things that happens. I think you can still have behavior problems co like coming from this at the same time as, uh, like supernatural occurrences that also occurred in yeah, this the case. Yeah, real, the real crux of this case really is the documentations by professionals that are outside the field of the paranormal. Yeah, I, I will admit that it makes the case a little bit more suspicious in that regard, but I don't think it completely uh, discredits it. Uh, let's see what we got. Boop -a -doo -doo. Creepy California. I was actually just wondering if we're going to have one this. Yes. Uh, this Creepy morning. California, super fan. Creepy California says, went to Zach's haunted house in Las Vegas before COVID, and the scariest thing was the maintenance of the place. You have to sign a waiver. <laughs> you have to sign a waiver. Pretty much saying anything that happens to you is on you and not on him. But the way that it pretty much meant if you stepped on a nail, fall through the floor or beneath. Or breathe in asbestos, it's on you. But it makes it sound like he's talking about the spirits. No, I, I, I 100% <laughs> believe that. If there's one thing that Zach Baggins is good at, it's putting on a, a creepy show. For, uh, he's he's okay at it. I mean, if there's one thing he's gonna do, it's gonna be that. I mean, you know, he's the king of faux ghost hunter reactions. And just so you guys know... We are going to unfortunately be covering him again because he comes up in this case. And But you will also be finding out about my secret doppelganger. I didn't know that, by the way, guys, before we... Had I known Zach Baggins, our <laughs> arch enemy, was connected to this case, I probably wouldn't push as hard as I did. I just... I tried this point not to watch his work anymore. So, like, he crept up on you like, like an old... Like an old wound or an old ache or pain that just creeps up on you. 
Yeah, I, I really did not realize that he was involved with this <laughs> until I got a bit yeah. into the research. But he's but he's not coming until way later in the episode. So it's okay. We got we got plenty of awesome gold before we get to the crap that is Zach Baggins. Alright. So we're talking about Dibix or Dibicum. And in all honesty, I didn't think you were going to know the Divicum thing, and I was looking forward to correcting you when you nope. said Divix. Nope, nope. Most people, yeah. The plural of Divix is Divicum. Now, if you're going to call me out, by the way, for that, all right, all right, Mr. Smarty Pants, spell Divic. Oh, uh, there's no way I can. My spelling's atrocious. Make an attempt. No. What? You were going to call me out for not being able to spell it. Let's see what you've got. Okay, I would go... Nope. <laughs> nope, I've got it covered. You have was, to do it for the listeners, because they're listening. I was trying to look at his notes. Nope. Um, D, Y, E... Oh, damn it. <laughs> D, Y, B, B, U, K. Damn it. That is a... Di- now, to be fair, that is a difficult word to spell. Like, that is not an easily pronounced word. There are a lot of vowels in there that makes this an atrocious word. To try to pronounce. I knew the D-Y part. I but... don't know how you get to Dibicum and why you just can't say Dibix. Like, I don't know if Hebrew is just difficult on purpose. Like, I know English gets, like, made fun of a lot for being a much more difficult, like, language than it needs to be, but... I mean, etymology has never really been my strong suit, but I imagine it's rude is somewhere in like, there. Like, you could just throw an S at the end of that and just make it much more easy as a plural. Well, here's my question. I know the plural is... Divicum, but is the possessive still Divix? That's it. I'm done. <laughs> I'm done talking about the etymology in this. That is, <laughs> nope. I'm done. Anyway, Divix. So Divix are a uh, comes from uh, the the Jewish mythology, and Divix are a malicious spirit that's believed to cling or to cling to or possess a person. In fact, the term Divic um, comes from the Hebrew word as in to cling. Although the exact mythological connection between Divix is a bit arguable on the specifics on what they are, you can generally boil them down to using kind of a Western um, viewpoint of it. As someone who is stuck between the heaven and hell version of afterlife, it's kind of in, stuck in a purgatory sort of situation. In this state, they acquired demonic powers, which is not exclusive to them when it comes to, you know, supernatural creatures from Abrahamic beliefs. Think Mm -hmm. about, say, perhaps Lilith, who was a human but acquired supernatural powers. Or for those of you who are patrons, when we're discussing the Malleus Maleficarum, they go over humans being able to acquire demonic Mm -hmm. powers through various packs and things along those lines. It seems like when when Divix, as as the idea of them being this, this, this spirit of a person from the afterlife that's coming back... It starts predominantly, a, at least as far back as you can kind of at least put it pen to paper and you can kind of like bl- prove it, about the 16th century, okay? With the with the birth of Kabbalah, uh, in, like like Jewish Kabbalah, like Kabbalah, I can't pronounce that, Kabbalah, Kabbalah, Kabbalism? Kabbalah. Kabbalah. Did I say that right? I, th- I believe that's how you I did, it. I'm sorry. I'm always pronouncing it wrong. Um, the guy who spearheaded the idea of Dibbix being this, like predominantly people point to a lot, is... Isaac Luria, um, who is, he's really big in Jewish Shabbala, and he's that, that big push um, to this idea of there being, in Jewish belief, like the like spirits of people, like once they pass away, still being able to like linger here on earth. 
which actually like predates the modern spiritualism movement, which I was actually pretty interested in seeing. Like the spiritualism movement didn't even start to like them in like like eighteen hundreds and stuff, and this oh, yeah. and this came out like well two hundred years prior to that. But when it comes to like more global beliefs in supernatural creatures, these things don't for the most part don't possess too many traits we don't already attribute to ghosts. One of the primary oh, yeah. things is like in most traditions it's believed that a ghost is capable of possessing someone. Mm -hmm. Much like a demon is believed to be mm -hmm. capable of possession. Mm -hmm. So after after the sixteenth century, where what people start reporting like what a like what a dibic is, is is it supposedly the ghost of a person that this person supposedly did something so bad that like the afterlife like rejected them so now they're like cursed to wander for all of eternity on earth and supposedly eventually this might actually cause the spirit to turn into a demonic entity because it's stuff stuck to walk around the the crap hole that is earth like i can't even imagine during covid how many dibicum have probably been made then because of that they've had to been stuck here in this since march oh yeah just think about desperate spirits wandering around earth unable to find the afterlife kind of like in that uh old german folktale yeah like i also can like i also people just throw this idea like they just got rejected from the afterlife because they did something bad can you imagine what you must have had to have done for like higher powers to be like now nah, you can't hang out with me you can't even go to a bad place you're just having to be stuck on earth to just wander around for all of eternity I know, uh, I'm trying to remember the name of the folktale, but there's an old German folktale where something like that occurs. It's to a living man who's basically, through incidents, become immortal. But the reason why he wasn't allowed in hell is because he had cheated the demons previously in cards. And now just out of spite, they won't let him into the afterlife. <laughs> so, now you have this tormented Casper the not-so-friendly ghost wandering around the earth and now he's gonna be like what am i gonna do with the rest of my eternity i know i'm gonna be a dick and be mean to people that are on earth because i have to be stuck with them so what what attracts a dibic to a person like what would draw them in most of the time they'll they seem to be opportune predators looking for someone who's generally weakened either uh, through emotional protection where they're in a bad emotional state and their guards are down uh lapsed spiritual protection where their faith in either judaism or whatever their faith is has lapsed to a point where it is no longer sheltering them or physical weakness where someone has been giving into a disease and their body can no longer keep itself up but they're generally looking for someone in a compromised position mm -hmm. or i like the uh, the idea too that that you did some sort of secret sin like deep down, and that was what attracted the Dybbuk to you. They did something so bad that they're attracted to you because you did something so bad that hasn't come to light. Have you ever seen the painting, the Dybbuk? No. It's really, really cool, and I think kind of expresses the idea of them pretty well. Oh, man. We'll put that in the guys' show notes for you. It's like a guy that's like hunched over walking with this huge skeleton on his back. I would attempt to pronounce the name of the artist, but do you want to take a swing at that? Let's. Dybbuk by. Ephraim Mosh Lily. Man, I can't pronounce that. Either way, it's a very, very cool painting. I think it's a good expression of like what people that 
feel that they are possessed and they have this sort of they describe it like a weight like it's always it's always on their mind it's always on their spirit i think that's a good analogy for what it must feel like to be possessed well, at least like long term and, mm-hmm. th- and things like that um the oh God, the thing that i that i found really interesting about dibbicks that's different than like say catholic exorcisms like possession stories or or other types of of possessions is what happens once the dibbick possesses you because what happens is, is at first the dibbick starts to exacerbate uh negative qualities about yourself that you do okay. so if you're a gambler you'll start pretty much fully turning into that yeah if you're a hermit you're just never going to come to the door ever again um you know it you know if you're an insomniac you might go for like four days not sleeping it, it it's that that similar process that you see that it just of it trying to wear you down more and more and more also the difficult will begin inflicting on you its own vices and sins oh yeah you start mimicking the dibbick's behavior from its life so say the dibbick was uh, a chronic smoker then you start picking up the habit of smoking you know if the dibbick in a former life was a crazy cat lady then you're going to start hurting hordes and hordes of cats and you know so it's a lot in a lot of dibbick stories that's something that like uh, family and other people talk about is the person's behavior starts to change and it's one of those signature things in a divic possession people start looking for is some sort of a major behavioral change in a person which you know they have to attribute because there's no way because johnny absolutely wasn't a smoker before and now he smokes like five packs of marlboro a day you know again why would the you know why would the divic care because it's dead so it's not like it's gonna matter if you get lung cancer or something like that it really seems like these entities did not learn from their death <laughs> about like how, where their vices led them because it seems like they're still obsessed with achieving the same stimulus that led them there mm-hmm. and it's almost like the ghost of a super toxic person <laughs> like the most thing the most toxic person that you can think of in your life and now imagine like what it's going to be like with that person stuck in your head so yeah of course you're going to go crazy and you're going to start leaning on your negative coping skills that you have and then the worst part of the bad is you start picking up their toxic traits beyond that there's a specific myth associated with the divic box itself and i know i'm getting a little ahead but i really want to bring this up mm-hmm. the curse supposedly there's a curse that comes with discussing the divot or the divic oh, box yeah. and although i've been researching it like a lot. I, have you had anything weird happen to you? No, I, I haven't. I mean, that's one of the, you know, jumping ahead a little bit with people that if anybody's familiar with the Dibbick box, eventually, like, bad things start happening to you, either if you talk about the Dibbick boxes, the Dibbick itself, or if you uh, encounter a Dibbick or something, and you're being haunted by when all these bad things are going to happen to you. A lot of people say, you know, when you, when you believe that bad things may happen to you, you start looking for bad things that are happening to you. Now I can tell you this: well, the car trouble you had prior to that, that happened probably before we started researching. No, 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 that it happened right around then. But I actually don't can I don't really attribute it. You didn't connect your car having a bunch of random nails. You didn't know where they came from. I Did had you investigating the divic. I had three flat tires in a 
in basically the, the from when I started researching this up to now, I had three flat tires, and I don't think I've had a flat tire in the last year. But and maybe it's connected. I don't personally associate it. I I have not had any major bad thing happen to me that I could not probably just fault on just poor choices that I probably <laughs> that I've probably have made. Let me put it this way: I don't blame the Divic for my flat tires. Good. Don't blame the Divic. Blame 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 yourself. Like <laughs> you're just unlucky, and that's why you have flat tires. I don't know. When I took them in, uh, at least two of them, the guy said this looks pretty intentional. Oh, but they also were able to repair it. One of them they could repair. The other one had to be a brand new tire. Oh, okay. So it wasn't that bad. Yeah. Oh, okay. Okay. So it was two patches and a new tire. Okay. So, you've drawn the short straw in life, and now you are now possessed by a Divic. You know, what do you do? You know, when you go to the local synagogue and say, help me, help me, I've been possessed by a Divic, what is the, what, you know, what are they going to, what are they going to do? And again, this is where you start seeing a, a, a difference in what most people think of when you think of an, uh, when you think of like an exorcism. Most of you coming into this have like, the preconceived notion of like the exorcist with the Catholic priest wearing the, 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 the scarves and the sacraments on the holy water going, the power of Christ compels you. This is and going to be very different. It's different. Okay. Before yeah. we go into the details on what the process is, do you think that this is a better process or a worse process compared to Catholic exorcism? Oh, before I go into it. Yeah. What's your what's your personal thoughts? My gut, my gut, it said it's worse. I don't know. My it's my my general approach to the paranormal, based on what what we're about to discuss. Is I think this is a worse. I think this is a worse habit. Now, but um, I think th I think there's a possibility here for it being a better answer. But I guess we'll get to that now when we go into the details. Yeah. So, so the first thing you have to do that the, that the local rabbi is going to do is you have to sit the, you sit the person down. And you begin by interviewing the Dybbuk. Yeah, there are countless stories involving Dybbuk. Like, even if you go, like, online and you watch, like, um, like the movies, like, The Possessed, which I think is inspired by Dybbuk, um, or you read um, graphic novels or, or, or other, like, media things about Dybbuk, I, truthfully, I think they spice it up a lot of what, of what it really is from actual accounts of Dybbuk's. Uh, of getting rid of Dybbuk's. Um, the very first thing they do is they begin by interviewing the Dybbuk. Which is a real interesting comparison because like in most of the stories that we get about Catholic exorcism, the demon really doesn't want to give out the details. It's really trying to hide information about it, really especially trying to keep its name away. But the Dybbuk's, they're more than willing to oh, talk. Yeah. They're very interested in kind of getting their story out. Now, on... On the other hand, you will see this sometimes in Protestant-type exorcism, at least the beginnings of it. At least the beginnings of it I've seen for what they do. I've seen a lot of, like, Protestant-based exorcisms where they start by talking. They start by talking directly to the, the demon or whatever that they believe is inside the person. I mean, it ends well, very it ends very similar to Catholic style, but at least it begins like this. Like, I, but with the Catholic style, you do... And try to antagonize it into a conversation in an attempt for it to give too much information. But this seems, but but at least with Dybbuk's and when the rabbis seem to be interviewing them, when you look at accounts of them, they don't start by 
at least first antagonizing. They start, they work a lot it's, like it's way friendlier. Yeah, way they, friendlier. Truthfully, they work very much like how uh, we have to de-escalate situations at local at our at the hospital we work at at the mental health hospital. You start from the least restrictive measure possible, and you work your way up to something more restrictive. I, I will say I did note certain comparisons there. Yeah, like you do. Like you have to try to be the least restrictive as possible, which in the end I think is. I think it's still good because I, I think that creates less trauma for the person that's possessed. Because I think that is something that's often looked over in a lot of other types of exorcisms. Like, if you come in, like, full ham mode and trying to exorcise a person, I think that can still leave a very traumatic scar on a person. But, but, but instead of, like, attempting to cause the entity pain discomfort antagonism it seems more like they're trying to soothe and coax the yeah. entity the first thing that they try to do is they try to talk to it at least on someone i wouldn't call it friendly terms but i call it cordial terms where they try to find out its name and they try to find out what it's what it's problem what's, what's its malfunction like why is it around why is it still lingering what's its goals when it comes to stuff like this it always goes back to names yeah well there's a lot of power in names once you know something's name you have power over it it's kind of like why I've tried to figure out your social security number. It's your government name, so that way I can get power over you. Don't. <laughs> stop. Stop that. <laughs> you don't need my security number. My social security that's number. Your tr that's your true name. Your government name. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> that's, that's, how I, that's how I get I don't, it. I don't want the government knowing my true name. <laughs> yeah. So once the, you know, and, and that's what everybody starts doing. Is they start trying to coax the... The spirit into discussing like what its problem is, what's its what's its unfinished business. I mean, if you've ever seen if you've ever seen Casper the Friendly Ghost, like Casper the Friendly Ghost. Oh god, I can't remember the guy that that plays the dad in that movie. That who's like the the ghost therapist. He tries to work with Casper's uncles and end up moving on. Yeah, I know you're looking at me, but I haven't seen this. No, movie. I you've never seen Casper the I movie Casper. Don't think so. Maybe I've seen it. I've just forgotten. It's it. got the girl who plays Wednesday Adams in it. She plays the daughter. That's kind of cool. Oh my god. Anyway, but that's when, when, when I'm looking for a ghost movie, I'm not looking for freaking oh Casper. Well, why should we were kids? That's the that you guys get the analogy. Anyway, that's what the dad's trying to do is he's trying to work with them to find out what's their unfinished business, uh, for it to move on. You know, so maybe the reason why it it, it died because it did something so wrong because it feels like some sort of regret. Maybe it didn't do something. Um, maybe it didn't do something in the afterlife. I found this was kind of weird, though, because I feel like if there was some sort of unfinished business thing that it had, that I that doesn't seem to me like it could make up for it being able to go to Jewish heaven. I mean, well, ultimately, the goal is trying to get it to feel like it's received closure, so it feels like it can move on. Yeah, but it was judged unworthy to go to, to, to its afterlife. So I don't know why finishing its... <laughs> Unfinished. Like I feel like a dick that if you had to do something so wrong, it's unfinished business is like I didn't get to murder enough people. Like I I feel to do something that's so bad that you're left on earth, that's your unfinished business. Or hide the body. Like I I don't know. Well, I I'm I'm no expert in Kabbalah, but if I'm gonna take a guess here, is that there's a there's a certain amount of acceptance where they there's a there's a certain aspect of themselves not allowing them to move on. Mm. I think that might be what's barring them in this situation, and also like the rabbi or the mystic that's trying to draw them out. I think their primary goal is just simply get them out and get them calm, 
And maybe if it all works out, maybe they right. find their way to the afterlife. But I think their primary goal is not necessarily passing on. I think it's the safety right. of the person who is currently in. And though it, it trying to do this, I, I they're essentially trying to appease the dip to the Dibbix humanity to its form to any remnants of its humanity that it has left for it to get. It. So it's that influence of that Kabbalah. Uh, influence of it believing that it's this the ghost of something that's become corrupted which one random question that i did not find anything to address i found plenty of inferences explaining that a divic may obtain demonic power in their wanderings in the afterlife but nothing on the means by which they do that hmm maybe they meet other divics well then how did the first divic know i can only like my guess is this they're wandering the afterlife. They're trying to figure out how to get somewhere to someplace that doesn't suck. Mm -hmm. And they may occasionally on the spirit plane run into demons and in some aspect barter for a degree of power. Mm -hmm. I'm going to assume there is some sort of like Dybbuk bar that they all meet up at and try Dybbuk secrets to learn all about the, the evil Dybbuk powers that they can learn. Perhaps. I, Perhaps. <laughs> Um, no, that would make a better sitcom, but at that I've been watching <laughs> I've been watching a lot of Cheers lately. I would watch so, that. I, I, yes, I would watch this. Yeah, Dibbit, you know, Dibbit, Dibbit, now, now, now I'm telling you right now that would be a good show. Think with how much people really love true crime like mysteries. Imagine a whole show dedicated to people that did such heinous things that like heaven itself kicked them, like refused to accept them, and now they're stuck to wander with some sort of like unfinished business. Yeah, people would watch that. And I would watch it, but how the heck are you going to find enough reliable sources that currently have divics that are willing to be interviewed on TV? It's fictional in this oh. one. It's oh, a okay, okay. It's, it's fictional. Yeah, I'd watch this. I'd yeah. watch this. I, but actually, now that you bring that up, how easy would it be for to find divics to talk about this? Actually, in a lot of divics story, uh, interviews, Dibbics are actually very cool with opening and talking about themselves. Yeah, they're, they're fairly affable. Yeah, yeah. They're very cool because if there's one thing everybody loves doing, it's talking about themselves, which is probably a, a, another possible clue that these could have actually been people. Because, again, people love talking about themselves. It's a classic thing you learn when you're trying to learn to become more sociable with people is you get people to talk about themselves. I think it's more of a clue that they might have been incredibly toxic people and they're still very consumed by their own ego. <sighs> no, no, no. I think regular people even like talking about no, themselves. No, everyone too. likes talking about themselves, but these guys are very interested right, in right, it. Right, right, But say, now, okay, so now they've interviewed the Dybbuk for a while. The Dybbuk's all about talking about itself. Maybe it's not willing to give its name. It's a little bit smarter than the average Dybbuk. It's like, I know what you're trying to do, Rabbi. You're trying to give me to get out. How do you how do you boot him? How do you give him the boot? The, you bring in the horn. You do. You bring in the horn. The, a, a rabbi will literally come in, have other rabbis, or maybe he himself. They repeat Psalm 91 uh, three times, and they blow a ram horn. They try to blow a specific tune or a, horn, a specific melody to essentially drive the Dybbuk out of the person, shattering the severing that the the connection the Dybbuk has with the person on a spiritual level. There is a tradition in Abrahamic uh, mysticism where you can soothe certain um, demonic and pseudo-demonic beings by using music. Absolutely. Um, going back to the Bible, like if uh, anybody's familiar with that, there is a story about Saul 
who's in the Bible, who is afflicted by an evil spirit sent by God in order to, in order to essentially haunt him. And David soothes Saul by playing a specific, playing music, which essentially soothes Saul and soothes this evil spirit that was sent by God. Hmm? Perhaps that's the real, real, uh, wisdom in, uh, music soothes the savage beast. <laughs> Dun, dun, dun. But ultimately, I think this is just them using very advanced coping skills. Mm -hmm. <laughs> uh, you would be surprised. Actually, there's a, there's numerous times that I've seen uh, where I've seen music being a huge element uh, in a lot of like magical practices. And things oh like yeah, that. no, music is a huge part of magical ritual. It's not present in every sort of magical ritual, especially when you get into forms of animism rule witchcraft things like that it becomes more and more present mm -hmm. like think about any sort of voodoo or hoodoo ritual um canton blaine in africa um mystical shintoism in japan i like music plays huge roles in all of these mm -hmm. so the dick has been expelled from the person now we have to do something with the dick because if this dick's already kind of a douche to the point where we had to pull out the ram horn the big guns here you can't just let the dibbick wander because he's just going to be a dick and just go right back into the guy i assume or wander to some other poor soul that it runs into so what happens the in a lot of dibbick accounts the dibbick gets sucked into a flask that supposedly if it's successful will then glow red now, what they do with the flask after that, I have no idea. I assume they're... they're they bury it. Bury it. Throw it in this, they throw it into the sea. You put it somewhere, no one's going to get to it. And that is the uh, script uh, and plot for Jumanji 3. Is a Dibbic, is a Dibbic uh, flask is uh, found and comes out and uh, possesses Dwayne the Rock Johnson. This is one of those... This is why I like this more than most Catholic exorcisms. Because of the flask? Because in a Catholic exorcism, there's no attempt to then afterwards bind it. Mm -hmm. I feel like if you're going to go through the process of removing an entity like this, you then don't want it just running around doing whatever the hell, no. it, hell it's going to do. No, in a Catholic exorcism, you send it back to hell. Yeah, but it got out the first time. Well, yeah, but if you send it back, that's maybe they sent him to super hell. Maybe that's how they sent it down. They got sent back down. Again, why would the devil send back somebody who got caught? Why would, I, you, why would you send somebody back that could easily be outmatched I, by humanity? I don't know why you're having me speculate on the <laughs> strategies of the devil. <laughs> I feel like his machinations may be a bit beyond me. <laughs> but still, like I, I do like that, that there's a binding aspect of it afterwards. It's going to be contained and it's going to go to jail. <laughs> it's, going to, it's, going, it's going to Dybbuk jail. It has to continue to think about what it did, because obviously it didn't learn it about it the first time. I hope somewhere out there, there is a special building where all these rabbis are sending them, <laughs> and they're all locked in there and kept safe away from me. No, that's not what happened, because what happened after that was apparently someone got wind of the idea of, hey, we should uh, put something in this, and then they did the next weird thing. They oh, started moving into yeah. talking about the box. Yeah, they started selling these things on the internet. Okay, okay, wait. We should get to this point, but let's talk about the actual famous Divic box case first, and then let's circle back. Around oh, yeah. okay. Let's talk about because the thing is, in the tradition, if you notice, when we were talking about the tradition of Divics, we haven't mentioned Divic boxes. And for those of you who are already familiar with this field, 
probably know the term as a Divic box, but that is not an ancient term, and it's not part of the tradition of Divics. No, it's it's not. The, the, the concept of a Divic box first popped up. Really, it really got its big claim to fame in, like, 2016, but you can go a little bit before that was when it started circulating on the internet. I became aware of it when Mysterious Universe started covering shortly, it. Shortly after... Shortly after 2000, the turn the turn of the millennium, there's a gentleman by the name of Kevin Manis, who reported that he purchased a dip, a a wine box from the estate of a Holocaust survivor uh, when she passed away, and she and he apparently, for whatever reason of his own morbid care, no 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 the guy who bought it oh okay sorry he, I thought you were talking about no, the Holocaust no, no. survivor he bought it. Out of sheer curiosity, morbid curiosity, I assume. Well, he, he's, I, a, he's an antiques dealer. Why would you buy a haunted antique? Well, the thing is, he didn't he didn't know that it was haunted until after the purchase. That's true. Yeah. So he because he thought oh, he's okay. just buying an antique wine holder. Yeah. So Kevin Kevin Manis buys that buys this antique box to, and and the family tells him and reports to him that this box was supposedly according to their um, like deceased relative that passed away. That this was a uh, that there was a divic that was bound into the box. Yeah, the um, the granddaughter approached him and was like, "Oh, hey, you got the divic box." And he's like, "The what?" Mm. And she tells this story about how it was always kept in um, her grandmother's sewing room, and the door was always kept shut, and she was very insistent that the door is never to be opened. Yeah. And when she was asked about um, like what was in there, she'd do this weird spitting ritual and mm. then say a divic. Oh, uh, then he's like. Oh, I'm sorry. I per- I didn't realize that I purchased your grandmother's sacred uh, family heirloom. Here you have it back. And they're just like, no, 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 no. We're good. We're good. We're good. Thanks, man. No, 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 not necessary. And he was just stuck with this box. But there is something neat in there. Are you familiar with the root of the spitting before you talk about something? Is it so that it can't track you? Oh, uh, effectively, yeah. Like, um, it's a form of apotropaic magic where you. Use something that's like you but separate from you. So if then some sort of evil spirit or magic comes after you, it'll attach to the severed part of your body. In this case, the spit. That's so weird, but makes so much sense. Oh yeah, one day we should go into this a whole lot more because it's a real quick boiled down explanation. But there's a lot to like some of our like very simple gestures we do nowadays. So like, okay, so I have a question. So this is a this may be a little weird that topic. So a lot of times when I go when I when we go on paranormal investigations. And, I, and we start getting tense. I started having to go to the bathroom a lot, so I'd like pee. But I never want to pee on an investigation like out in the woods or anything because I'm always afraid that it's going to like be able to attach itself to me. Is that actually a good okay. idea now? Going back to cunning man traditions of the medieval ages, like going back to specifically witch bottles, which is a bottle that you could bury underneath your door so if a witch tried to curse you, it would curse the bottle instead of you. One of the common ingredients they would use in that is the urine of the person who believes they're going to be cursed. Because that's part of them and the curse could go into that instead of something attached to them. So according to those cunning man traditions, yes, that actually going over and peeing somewhere should actually give you some manner of protection according to those traditions. We've been investigating the paranormal for years and I've told you this. This is the first time that I've ever heard this. You haven't. You've been you've, sitting you've on heard that. You've me talk about witch bottles before. You, you've 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 sat on that reassurance for me for this long time, and I'm just now finding out about this. Man, I love talking about witch bottles. We should talk about those one day. Okay, moving on. <laughs> We're gonna come back to that between me and you later. But anyway, so Kevin Manis has this spirit box, or sorry, this divic box, 
And, you know, of course, the granddaughter's like, don't open it. Whatever you do, don't open it. So what does Kevin Menace do? He opens it because curiosity gets the better of him. Well, he's taking it home for repairs. They said it's haunted, don't open it. Any, any, what do you expect was going to happen? Well, the thing is, I think at this point, he was very skeptical about it. And he even says himself that, like, at this point in the story, this was not at the forefront of his mind. Like, looking back, he's like, yeah, this was probably a bad idea. Yeah. But he was mainly at this point just thinking about it as this neat antique uh, wine box that he can refurbish and sell at his store. Yeah, so he opens this up, and to his surprise, there's a bunch of really weird crap that's in it. He finds two 1920s pennies, a lock of blonde hair that's bound, a lock of blackish brown hair that's that's bound, a small statue engraved with the Hebrew word shalom, a golden wine cup, one dried rosebud, and a single candle holder with like four octopusy shaped legs. That's what I would want out of there. That sounds so freaking Lovecrafty. Yeah. And it was at this point Kevin's like, all right, this is kind of weird. This seems to be a weird eclectic thing. So then what he decides to do is he decides to give it to his mother on her birthday. Who apparently her birthday is Halloween. Oh, I didn't catch that detail. Yeah, it's October 31st. And a weird thing people that people like in his family start noticing is how it has different smells to different people. I think he reports into him it smells like jasmine, but to another relative it smells like cat urine. Cat urine seems to be the most chiefly reported one, though. Most people mm -hmm. seem to associate with that. And hadn't they been having, by this point, just when he's refurbishing at the store, that mysterious cat urine smell? Yeah. And some issues with alarms and things like that? Yeah, yeah. weird stuff starts going with his house, and you know, with his house, and a bunch, and he starts having, like, horrible nightmares involving this hag that comes to him in his dreams and all this. So he decides to get rid of it, and he ends it. Oh, you're, you're glossing over the best part. Which part? When he would wake up from these weird nightmares with the hag. Oh, he has the bruises. He, yeah, he would be actually physically yeah, 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 bruised. bruised. Yeah, yeah, I did forget about that part, where he's all bruised and beaten up. Yes, and he's still trying to get rid of it, and nobody wants to take it. <laughs> but except one person goes, hey, maybe this is a good idea. Another person making poor life choices. Osef Netsky, uh, who then got it, and... It caused, when he parches it, he also had a bunch of weird stuff start happening to him. He had uh, lights in his house started burning out. His hair starts falling out from owning this thing. So he gets rid of it. And the next owner is a guy named Jason Haxton. He also, he, he himself, he ends up writing a book about this thing. And he has a bunch of other similar stuff happen to him. And then he buries it and gets rid of it until the hero of our story... Zach Baggins comes along and gets the item and now puts it in his museum. I know we're covering this story pretty fast because we're starting to run out of time, but there's one thing I, one detail I want to bring up. Mm. One of the constants throughout the case with it moving through different family members of his and then moving to some of these other people is this repeating weird dream about this crone and waking up with either uh, whelps or bruises, things along those lines. Oh yeah, I think Haxon had issues where he was like coughing up blood um, when he had it. I mean, there was a lot of bad stuff that was happening to everybody that owned this particular box. Kind of showing that bad stuff was happening too, but then Zach Baggins gets it, and then he seemed to be okay because Zach Baggins 
Ghost Adventures plot armor is thick and brown, I guess. I well, don't know. initially, one of the owners had buried it and basically said that no one else is going to get this thing. It's going to disappear now. And then Zach Baggins somehow talks him into donating it to the museum, which I assume means he offered him a whole lot of money, money. for them. <laughs> And Zach Baggins puts it, like, in the attic of his, like, museum and doesn't show it to anybody. Except for uh, Vic Waitley's uh, doppelganger. Apparently, and I get this all the time, I apparently look a lot like Post Malone. He does. Enough Guys, that he does. <laughs> enough that I've been mistaken for Post Malone before. Oh, yeah. Guys, imagine if Post Malone, like, went to some sort of, like church behavior camp or something for like for like bad kids and then came back all cleaned up that is what Vic Whitley looks like like a lot like totally remove the tattoos I actually did not know who Post Malone was until people kept coming up to me and be like are you Post Malone or do you, do you know you look like Post Malone and eventually I looked him up and I'm like okay I see the similarities but I don't have a bunch of face tattoos so I don't know anyone's confusing me for this guy but, yeah, I had no clue who he was until this started <laughs> well, happening. But so true. Apparently, I look pretty much just like this guy. So, there's, like, I think there's, like, security game footage of this and, like, in Zach Baggins' episode where he, like, talks about this. Where, like, Zach Baggins is, like, probably smoking weed with Post Malone. And he's like, dude, I've got this haunted wine box upstairs. You want to see it? Post Malone was like, yeah, man, that sounds cool. So, they go, like, up there and Post and Zach Baggins touches the box. And then Post Malone touches Zach Baggins and, like, just jumps back or something like that. And then shortly after that, like, Post Malone ends up in, like, a plane crash and has, like, his house broken into. And just a horrid stream of bad luck. It's like, okay, I don't know really anything about Post Malone, except for that he's apparently some sort of musician that looks like me. But when it comes to anything with Zach Baggins, I don't trust that he didn't set it up. You know, like maybe Post Malone's a real stand-up guy and would never go for something like that. I don't know. I don't know who he is, really. But when it comes to anything with Zach, I just don't, I just can't trust this guy. So after Zach Baggins posts, I think it's like Objects of Possession. He has a, he has a TV series and I can't remember. I think it's Deadly Possession. I think that's the name of the, the TV series that this appears on. I'm almost positive that's what it's called. It's like one of the, it's like either the first episode of the first, it's like either the first episode of that or like one of the first episodes of the second season. But anyway, this is like 2016. Shortly after that comes out, that's when you start seeing the, the slew of Dybbuk boxes popping up on uh, uh, oh. on eBay to purchase. I mean, there's tons of them. You go, to, you go to eBay, there's tons of them that are there. You can't buy them on Amazon. Walmart has yet to get back to us on a comment about the Dybbuk boxes. I told you not even to look into this. There's so many. Okay, the thing is this. There's not a tradition of binding Dybbuk's into these wine casts. Or not wine casts, wine boxes. So why would any of these other ones, why would we assume that there was anything to them? It's because in the Kevin Manis story, I believe it was, it was Haxton. Haxton was the one who I believe tracked down and said, I think he spoke to the family. And the family said that the... The grandmother got the Dybbuk box from a the the it, it was bound by witches, so it was from a totally different tradition supposedly that bound the Dybbuk into this box, which would then make sense, which would explain why the Dybbuk box story is completely different, by the way, from the Dybbuk story with it from everything about Dybbuk's that we described before. By the way, I don't know why more people don't discuss that why the Kevin Manis story is so radically different. 
But why would there be a whole bunch of them on YouTube unless someone's like, oh, this happened once. Let's go make a whole bunch. Yeah, because Kevin Manis said, I bought this I bought this online. Or no, the guy who sold it to him said, I sold this online. And then someone went, ooh, maybe this would be a good idea for me to just start selling these online. And you can buy them online for like I, 20 bucks. But I some th- people sell them for like $100. And I think that's crazy. I think it's just a bunch of people who have old wine boxes trying to sell them for a profit by saying that there's these... Tell them about what you found on YouTube. I'm oh, too mad to even Oh, they're awful. It. Oh, they're the worst. Oh, my God. They are the worst type of spoopy paranormal garbage that's out there. And it makes me mad as a paranormal investigator and a paranormal researcher that we are that this kind of crap exists on YouTube. It makes me so... Oh, my God. It's just video after video after video. I didn't watch these because I knew they would just piss me off. It's just these YouTube content creators that say that they bought one of these boxes online, and it's always... It's a box that looks like they bought it from Pottery Barn. They put a bunch of weird stuff in it, and they, they seal it with candle wax, and then they just sell it on the internet for whoever buys it for the largest amount, usually t- between 20 to 50 bucks. And then they they always open it in, in every video, every single video, every video, literally, they start, like, losing their mind. Like, they open it, and bad stuff starts happening, their lights are flickering, and they start adding production value to all this. And it makes me so bad watching all, watching just that, that garbage online and i'm not no don't get me wrong i'm not saying stuff like this can't happen oh no i believe that one could acquire a cursed object online i do believe that that is something that could happen but if you're if you're trying to look for a cursed object do some research and you'll figure out that it's there's no tradition of binding divics into boxes likely these are all fakes no i think what i think what what's probably going on is at, at its best i'm gonna say at its best it is people of some other sort of practice binding some sort of entity into a box that they're just going to call a divic or whatever and then they they sell it as that and there are traditions now why where would, one does that now why you would sell it i don't know because i've never met a i've never met a person that i would that i would genuinely believe that could do something like this that would then proceed to sell this on ebay any person that i genuinely believe that would do something like this would probably do the responsible thing and bury it in a hole yeah and bury it in a hole deep down where nobody can get their hands on it not send it to ebay there are only two answers bury it in a hole or put it on a shelf in your basement that's our response to it like you won't even see like you know i don't know we put up content too on ebay but i'm never i'm free i'm sorry no sorry i'm on youtube of us opening one of these like guys like you know, I love you. I love our listeners and things like that. But am I going to buy a genuinely haunted object that I'm just going to open? They're not haunted. It's just a... I, I'm certain that these ones are just boxes. Of course it is. Because anybody who's a paranormal investigator worth their salt knows that when you go out on a paranormal investigation, 99% of the time, you generally don't have anything happen to you. So if you if you have a phenomenon like these divot boxes, and literally every single video, weird stuff starts happening immediately after they open these things up. Either A, this is a bunch of hoaxing, or B, this is the most unrecognized evidence of paranormal activity of our time, and I'm just not willing to believe the latter. So, um, that being said, I want to get to your actual, before, because I, I, I don't want to end on a negative note that we're, like, crapping all over this concept. Do, do you have any good, do you have any final thoughts on Divix? Oh, they're really fascinating. I learned a lot more about them than I initially knew. I initially knew only a little bit, so I was glad to have done this topic. 
I do think the Manus case is legit, but I think it launched a whole lot of copycats. I do too. I think the Manus. I I I I believe the Manus story. I do. I think that's a legit thing because I believe there is a precedent for haunted objects out there. He was probably being oppressed by some sort of malevolent entity that was probably in there. I'm totally willing to. I'm totally willing to believe that. Um, as far as Dibbix go, I think it's 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 definitely cool seeing how another culture does an exorcism and their approach to doing an exorcism, especially uh, one so radically different from what we yeah, normally cover. yeah from from what we're used to. So I think that was really interesting uh, to to see that. I think that as far as Dibbix go, this is probably one of the least restrictive and possibly less traumatic ways to exercise a, a something out of a person that I've seen or at least that, that we've covered or that I've seen which could legit be a thing yeah it's it's a very kind of unique sort of process yeah it definitely takes a whole lot of um, consideration for the person that's that's possessed by it and I and I think that's a uh, and I think that's a noteworthy and commendable thing for that practice i think it, it takes the entity that's possessing i think it takes that into a lot of consideration yes. as well because yes. it seems to try to make it a easy passing yes um i would definitely love to get your guys thoughts but put your comments below what do you guys think about dibix uh dibic boxes in general any anything that we've talked about that and as always guys if you like this episode don't forget to like it leave us a review one of the best things you guys can ever do is uh, leave us a review for wherever you guys check out this podcast um you know, don't forget to share it. Uh, it definitely goes a long way to helping out this podcast. But until next time, guys, keep believing. Because we'll keep listening. Okay, for the Pillow Talk segment, we're going to be discussing exorcism manuals. Oh, sweet. I found another beer. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that is so awesome. We're, it is both. How do we? How are we so irresponsible? We just have random beers. Lying around in the studio. Do, do you remember that time where, like, I went through and cleaned up all the stacks of books in the studio, and I found like a ton of alcohol? There is so. That is kind of weird that there was just beer lying around here that yeah. we just don't know about. Along with the recording studio, we also have a library of various paranormal books and things like that. And sometimes when we're in here doing research, we'll also bring in a six pack and you drink know. like two of them and forget the other four. You also found my secret hidden stack of empty cans. <laughs> oh my god, it got so big. That <laughs> was like literally on the outside of the window, like two cans tall, but all the way across. So it just looked like he was collecting Diet Coke and beer cans like in his windowsill <laughs> to his neighbors. <sighs> <sighs> Man, this is an awesome studio. We have beer, like we have beer and like magical texts and grimoires just lying around. We do. We actually have a very rare copy of Agrippa's Three Books of Occult Philosophy from the Medieval mm -hmm. Era, mm -hmm. which is an extremely rare book, yes. but not the one I'm referencing for today. No, the one you're referencing today is another type of like book among grimoires, right? Yeah, it's um. It's Grimoire by Owen Davis, and it's a really good book that's just on the history of magical texts. And a lot of the information that we're going to be talking about today, I drew from this book. Now, when when you hear the word Grimoire, when I heard the word Grimoire, and we're talking about all these things on, like, exorcisms, I'm thinking of, like, 
a leather bound tome that's like handwritten on parchment and that is a big letdown i'm not gonna lie <laughs> visually i'm not saying content wise i'm just saying visually of Th the book this is a modern book that discusses <laughs> it discusses books along the lines of what you're describing yes many ancient grimoires were bound in leather and things like that our copy of um agrippa is not bound in leather because you can't hardly get a copy so we actually had to bind the book ourselves. <laughs> <laughs> I just think, but I didn't want you guys to get the wrong idea of the text that we were referencing of saying, you know, you couldn't find this book. But, okay. There's going to be some weird stuff we're talking about today. We're going to be talking about some sexy exorcisms. <laughs> and weird, some weird stuff like weird, that. Weird stuff. We do weird stuff on this podcast. Thank you.